Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Exodus 22 says, When someone was caught stealing sheep, they had to pay the fourfold restitution. Now, don't you think about that? Four times what was stolen had to be repaid. So when you see God talking about what's going to happen, it's an allusion to David's four sons are going to be killed. So it's a payback for the Uriah murder. The Levitical rules regarding stealing and the like showed how important the concept of personal property was and is to God. The penalties were so severe that they were meant to be a deterrent to those who might have been inclined to pilfer their neighbor's stuff. But David had stolen a man's wife and then had the husband killed when all his other plans failed. Pastor Mark will be teaching you about the importance of remembering that God will get his judgment. It may not be right away, but there will always be a reckoning. Please, remember that when you're tempted to sin. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in 2 Samuel chapter 11 as he continues with his series called The Life of David. David doesn't admit his sin at all. He's judgmental at somebody else. It looks horrible at somebody else. Verse 7. Notice the boldness here of Nathan. Now, Nathan's not talking to just anybody. He's talking to the king. Nathan said to David, you are this man. And he has to add this. Uh, By the way, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I would add that too, for sure. This isn't just me talking. This is God. God. So Nathan can be bold. Why? Because God gave him the analogy. Somehow, God gave Nathan a word of prophecy, a word of knowledge, the teaching of God's word to point this sin out. Now, watch what happens. In verse 7 and 8, and God did this for Nathan as well, it's kind of that look we talked about. It's God saying to David, David, look in your rearview mirror. Have I been a good God to you or not? Why did you do this? So look at verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, and I want you to look at, if you like to, you can always do it, circle the eyes, which is God. You are the man. This is what the Lord of God Israel says. 
I anointed you king over Israel, God says. I, God, delivered you from the hand of Saul. I, God, gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I, God, gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I, God, would have given you even more. How big do you think David felt at that point? You just want to crawl away, don't you? Because you realize, I mean, God has been so good to me. Let's just stop for a moment. How good has God been to you and me tonight? God is so good. When you look at that rearview mirror, how many eyes are in our life from God? It's all over the place. So look at the next verse. I think it's exciting. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes. We go back to the standard. We go back to the moral standard. We go back to that which is right. It's the word of God. It's that standard that's there. It's that plumb line that's there. David knew all these things are wrong. He'd broken these commandments. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword, took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Now, this is what the Lord says. Out of your own household... I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did this in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. As David begins to see this, somehow there's no more rationalization There's no more trying to justify his sin. Verse 13, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. There's no doubt in my mind, because I've been there, not like this, but just like you. He wished 364 days ago he'd have done just this. But he allowed the enemy to lie to him. Psalm 51.4, which is one of your homework, says this, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Even though David's sin affected Bathsheba and her husband, the sin was basically against God. God is the only one who is holy. God is the only one who can give us a pardon. So all sin is basically against God. If you're not sure of that, this is what you would write. All sin is ultimately against our holy God. Certainly it affects other people. But it's really against God. And Nathan replied in verse 13, The Lord has taken your sin away. You are not going to die. Hallelujah. Because realistically, what should have happened to David? Should have been killed. Two offenses that required his death. Murdering somebody? 
an adulterer. He should have been killed. But God says, the Lord has taken away your sin. When did he take that sin away? When was that relationship with God restored? When? When David said, I have sinned against the Lord. What is that? That's repentance. That's repentance. Admitting I have sinned. You know the steps. Number one, we have to admit our sin. Number two, we have to repent, which means being sorry enough to change. Not just an emotional thing, not just a one-time thing, but a change that's going to happen in my life. And number three, when that happens, then we receive the promised forgiveness. We quote a lot, First John 1, 9, but sometimes we miss the first word in the verse. If we confess our sins, he is just, faithful, just. Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If, the big if, David waited a year for the if. Because David confesses sin, he would be instantly forgiven. That's impossible to explain. The thief on the cross, the minute he said, you are the son of God, you happen to be the Messiah, could I be with you today? Could I be with you? Will you forgive me? Immediately when that happened, instantly his sins were forgiven. I don't understand that. I enjoy it. It's supernatural. It's done. His relationship with God would be restored. However, the cover-up is going to cause ramifications. There's going to be a penalty for his sin. Forgiveness, yes. Consequences, also yes. Look at verse 14. But, because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, The son born to you will die. Notice what God's talking about. What God is saying is this, David, when this is heard, the enemies of the nation of Israel are going to laugh because the king of Israel is just like them. Remember, God wants us to make him look good. God's going to look bad. You know the story. It's a thing you have to pray for all of us pastors, elders. We're in front of you. If for some reason we would fall morally or any other reason, money, all kind of things, think of how this community would think about our God. It's horrible. And that's what we see there. So remaining in our sin, I want you to write this, remaining in our sin makes God look bad. For the whole year, God looked bad. He isn't known in the nations yet, but for the whole year, he looked bad. King David, the joy of the Lord, don't take your spirit from me. He did. He's miserable. He makes God look bad. The psalmist who writes the great psalms. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise him in the morning. His mercies are new. None of that. And God doesn't look good for that whole time. So remaining in our sin actually makes God look bad. The one thing we do need to know as we move through this, the Bible says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. I need God's grace. 
grace is going to be here. Does David deserve to be forgiven? Not at all. Is God going to forgive him? He already has. Hallelujah. Remember, don't cast the stone. Get the log out first. God does forgive, but sin has consequences. So the sword will not depart. Violence, calamity, and murder in David's family will take place over the next 25 years. Now, I want you to go back to something. When you think of what David was doing here, Exodus 22 says, when someone was caught stealing sheep, they had to pay the fourfold restitution. Now, don't you think about that. Four times what was stolen had to be repaid. So when you see God talking about what's going to happen, it's an allusion to David's four sons are going to be killed. So it's a payback for the Uriah murder. Now, verse 14 begins with the first son, the baby, will die. And we'll see over time, three of his other sons will die. His children will be a grief to him. His family will be torn apart by bloody conflict everywhere. His wives will be stolen from him and violated publicly. And, of course, his newborn son will die. And I thought of this, and I want you to look at me. It really impacted me. 30 minutes of pleasure, 25 years of misery, 30 minutes of pleasure, 25 years of misery. We're supposed to learn from that, all of us, to stop and think before we head off and feed our flesh. 30 minutes of pleasure ends in 25 years of difficult circumstances. It simply doesn't pay to give into temptation and sin against our God. More verse 15. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne to David, and he became ill. Now remember, David's now back in, in, uh, in uh, fellowship with God. So David pleaded with God for the child. His prayers, fellowship, restored. He fasted. Went into the house and spent the nights lying on the ground. Now the elders of the house stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. And on the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, wow, the child was still living. We spoke to David, but he would not listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went to the house of the Lord, and he worshiped. The anger, the bitterness, the critical spirit is what? It's gone. Why? Because he's been restored. Would you say he could get really bitter again and anger right here? Yes, because his prayer isn't answered. But he already knew what the consequence was going to be. So he goes to the house of the Lord 
and he worships. Then he went to his own house. At his request, they served him food, and he ate, and his servants asked him, Why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat? And he answered, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. This is a key verse. You probably ought to circle it in your Bible. This is a key verse, verse 23. It's one of the most well-known verses in Scripture that teaches us that our children who die before they reach that age of accountability automatically go to heaven. All children. It brings a source of great comfort to believing parents who have lost infants and young children. Jesus, by the way, confirmed this truth in Matthew 19. Let me read it to you, verse 14. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So that's a great comfort that we have as pastors when a child. I remember after we had started the church, we hadn't been maybe a couple years, and a two-year-old baby walked into a pool and drowned. It was one of the most difficult funerals I had to do. But I had this passage. Notice the baby isn't going to come back, but David's going to see the baby again. Where? In heaven. So it's a great passage of comfort. Vance Hefner says it like this. When you know where something is, you haven't lost it. I love it. When you know where something is, You haven't lost it. By the way, that holds for all of us that know our relatives are in heaven tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 24. Then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba. What do you think that was like? What would David say to Bathsheba? That would have been very difficult. I believe David probably confessed to his wife. If Bathsheba had any little part in this, She probably confessed. And I want to say to those of you that are married tonight, it is important that you and I live in openness with our spouse. It's very important we don't have cover-up things, but that we're transparent with our spouses. And it's also important, when I look at verse 24, that we know how to comfort our spouse. This world chews up marriages and spits them out. And that's because sometimes there's more, listen to me, there's more peace outside the home than there is inside the home. That should not be. God will give you, husband, the strength to be open with your wife and to comfort her. Wives, Be submissive. Be open. Encourage your husband. If there's forgiveness needed in any marriages here, when you get home, do business with God. Get on your knees and be open. It says David comforted his wife. Huge. How did David do that? Because David was receiving the comfort of the Lord. 
The joy of the Lord was coming back into David, even in a difficult time of this. You'll see that as you read Psalm 51 and 32. The joy of the Lord was coming back. The spirit was coming back so he could comfort. We, we can't do that really just in the flesh. We have to be filled with the spirit. Remember in Ephesians 5, it talks about being filled with the spirit. And right after that, it goes boom, right into husband and wife. Well, hello. Where we need it the most in our homes. So husbands and wives, learn to comfort one another. Learn to forgive one another. Life is too short to live in unforgiveness. Cut it out. Do the right thing. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her, and he lay with her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. Solomon, his name means peace. Finally, there's peace back in the home. David, once again, is with peace, has peace with God. His home is there. The will of God is open. Even though he knows the consequences are there, he knows God loves him. And I think this is a huge thing for you to write tonight. Being forgiven brings full restoration. You see, it was an end to guilt and depression It's now again a life of joy and peace, even though there's going to be difficulties. And there's a new start in life. Why? Because God, his grace, adds to our life. It doesn't subtract to our life. And I was thinking about this new start in life that David and Bathsheba were going to have with Solomon. Solomon, as you know, would be king. I wrote this down. When facing temptation, Satan says, don't run from it. But God says, run from it. When facing God's conviction, Satan says, run from it, cover it up. But God says, don't run. Don't run from me. Come to me and find forgiveness and restoration. If you're here and you're facing temptation, I want to say this to you. God says to you, run from it. If you're about to do something, run from it. And you email me tomorrow and say, Pastor Mark, I run from it. As God told me. I don't want any details. I want you to be, have accountable. You send to me an email and say, God spoke to me last night. I'm running from it. If you're here and God's been convicting you of something that you've covered up, God says, cut it out. Come back to me. Let's get it out in the open. I'll forgive you. Yeah, but Pastor Mark, I don't know what the consequences are. You leave that to God. Forgiveness is way better. You'll get restored. Then you can handle those things. You see, all of this is for us. For me is included. When Satan brings temptation, he says, go for it. God says, get away from it. When God brings conviction, Satan says, run from it. God says, no, 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 come to me. Pastor Mark, in today's teaching, talked about David's continued attempt to hide his sin with Bathsheba and the things he did to try to cover it all up. You heard how God finally stepped into the situation via his prophet Nathan. And God forcefully confronted David regarding all he had done. 
God did show you through this series of events that he is always ready to bring you back into his fold. We know social media is a big part of everyone's lives, and it's a great way to stay connected with each other. We'd like to add a little bit of joy and Jesus to your Facebook and Twitter pages, so come like and follow us. You'll be able to keep up to date with all the latest information about Pastor Mark, the Ministry of Lessons for Living, and the church behind it, Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links to connect. That's LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time, Pastor Mark will begin to wrap up his teaching on the life of David. You'll hear about the judgment that God placed on David as a result of his series of sins with Bathsheba. You'll be shown that sin has consequences more than you could ever imagine and longer lasting than you can know. Pastor Mark will illustrate this using David's life. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. From all of the production team here at Lessons for Living, we want to say thank you for tuning in. And may God bless you. And together, let's do life right. In a hurting world, a new hope he is given.